Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We're speaking with Robert Koppelman, a master's degree in environmental engineering, who's worked in the, as the uh, chairman of the American Public Power Association's Energy and Clean Air Task Force and an expert on the climate, climate change, the sun, maybe even the moon for all I know. But nevertheless, he's an expert on what we're discussing, which is the, the issue of climate change. Is it man-made, natural, or some, some combination of all of that? We were talking about science, proper use of science, proper use of science experimentation, and the fact that if you ignore certain data or if you falsify certain data uh, or if you modify certain data to fit an agenda, then it's sort of like garbage in, garbage out, isn't it? To a great extent. But you have people making decisions, our policymakers. Uh, they trust the data that comes from these scientists. But again, I have to tell you, you have the scientists doing the basic research. You then have a document, and this is what the UN does. They have a document that they pull, and I call it cherry picking, that they put in what they call a publication for policymakers. And this is what goes to the policymakers that your congressmen see and, and so on, which basically gives uh, probably the worst-case scenarios that are given there. Like very few people realize that the, the scientific data that's out there says we have a range of what we think the climate may do that ranges all the way from being at or just slightly above the natural rate of warming that we've been seeing the last hundreds of years to climate Armageddon. Well, if I want to get funding to do some things or I want to get a different energy policy in the country, am I going to tell you, well, the range is from almost normal to climate Armageddon? I'm going to tend to tell you climate Armageddon to get you to do what I want you to do. And this is where things really got out of hand in this, this country is that you actually had the executive branch making the climate policy for the country, which should have gone through the legislative process, where you have the input 
literally from the whole country. And if you make a decision, this will become our new energy policy, this will become our new climate policy. In this particular case, you get a law passed, legislation passed, like we've done on other energy policies. That's one thing. Then the whole country buys in. But in this case, you know, our climate policy is through executive action. Well, I would submit to you that whether it's by executive action or by legislative action, we have a situation where there are a number of legitimate scientists who are doing legitimate work. We have a number of scientists who are not doing legitimate work, who have an agenda, who are producing fake data, if you wish. They're lying about their data. We had the Anglican weather stations who were lying about their their temperature data. We have people who are specifically so-called scientists, and I, I wouldn't dignify them by the term scientists. You have so-called scientists who cherry-pick data and eliminate data that doesn't fit with their hypothesis, uh, all of which is not real, not true science, because true scientists don't do that. I mean, that is, it's not illegal, but it is definitely, in terms of science, it's immoral. It's the immoral abuse of the scientific method for your own private agenda and purposes. So, nevertheless, you have data being uh, issued, but instead of a, a normal scientific evaluation of the data. You're taking the data and turning it over to people with an agenda to make decisions based upon the data. So it's sort of like me doing an experiment on insect eyes, getting all the data and handing it over to someone in Congress to interpret and make regulations from. Isn't that about what's happening? Well, you have a situation... You've got two things going on here. One, you have a desire to have something done politically. That's where outcome-based economics, outcome-based science comes in because I'm going to have I'm going to rely on the people that are going to do the studies, do the economic studies that support where I want to go. You see this happening. I mean, we, we're talking climate, but just to give you an example from back way back when, you have the uh, uh, Congressional Budget Office. Okay, uh, when a congressman or a senator or someone wants to get some legislation done, uh, he'll give the uh, Congressional Budget Office how much is this going to cost. But then they'll be given some assumptions, and they'll crank out a number. But again, you never see the assumptions, or the assumptions are there, but you never hear about the assumptions in there. And I often call that, other people call it, outcome-based economics, outcome-based science. This is what I want to do. And the only way you can do that is, is have questionable assumptions or cherry-pick the data or both. And literally... Uh, you know, with the economic models, with the climate models, the assumptions you put in, this is where you get your garbage in, garbage out, I can put in bad assumption data and I can get any number you want 
And that's the problem. Now, how do you do that? Do you have your data peer-reviewed by people that think exactly the way you think? And this is another problem, is if you really wanted to follow the scientific method, you would take your data, your conclusions, and you would not just give it to your friends who agree with you. You would give it to some of the people that question your research. And then if, you, if you've got the people that are, let's call them the contrarians, that look at what you've done and they say, I can't disagree with what you've done, now you may, maybe you have something. But getting your peers that think the same way you think to review your results and say, I, boy, I really agree with that, that to me as a scientist doesn't mean that much. But if you can get, get the people that are not your friends but are good scientists to say, this is good work, I, I agree with your conclusions, then you have something. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will be right back after a quick break. We're speaking with Robert Kappelman, an energy and environmental policy consultant. Um, he's a master's holder in environmental engineering from the University of Florida and very knowledgeable on climate science and climate change. So, obviously, what we've been talking about is some very basic dishonesty in the, in the scientific realm, where we are depending, or the people who make policy are depending upon answers or data for, and conclusions from scientists. And instead of getting the truth and getting things that are peer-reviewed properly, we, instead of getting scientific information that has been uh, reviewed, peer-reviewed, and validated under a normal scientific process, we are getting policy that is being made, as you say, on the outcome that is desired rather than basic science. And uh, so we're really kind of – our discussion is sort of going into – policy. We've established that the data are mostly skewed, that there's very little input from climate deniers, uh, certainly not in the press. And so we have a situation where policy is being made based upon science that's questionable or never been validated properly. Can I put it that way? Well, we have to look at the basic science, the guys and gals that are taking the temperature readings at the ocean or taking the temperature readings in the atmosphere and so on. And very few people question what they're getting. So you've got probably 90% of the scientists out there are taking measurements, uh, you know, developing graphs, etc., based on good empirical data. What happens is most of the projections we have are from computer models. And so this is where most of the fun begins because the computer models predict the future. So how can I be wrong about the future until the future is there? 
So the projections, all the projections of uh, climate Armageddon are based on computer models. The economic damage due to climate change based on computer models. So if you wanted to know where most of the shenanigans comes in, it's with the computer models. And uh, one of the top uh, UN IPCC scientists, uh, John Christie, who was one of the major contributors in the early days of the UN's uh, inner, uh, uh, the panel on climate change, um, has left them because the science was not being done correctly. But he still stays up with the climate science quite a bit. And he's done some really wonderful work with the models, looking at the models versus, uh, you know, what reality is. Initially, when they started to validate the models, there was no data in the future. So if the models, you started developing your models in the 1990s and you projected what was going to happen in 2000 or so, um, there was no data to check this. Well, now the models have been out there. We now have data uh, out to 2016, 17 uh, that's going to be validated. You now can look at what the models are telling us. And what we're finding is the models are actually over-predicting sometimes by a factor of three. But the impact that is being told the public is still being based on those models that overpredict by a factor of three. Those models are used to put into the economic models, which means the economics, the damage predicted, are also overpredicted. So uh, that is where I find the real, real problem is based on the modeling and the projections. Uh, the people that are out there doing the hard science, this is where we get the empirical data to test the models, and that empirical data is showing us that the models are over-predicting what the climate change effect is going to be. So that, again, highlights the, this dichotomy between science and, and political agendas. Because if what you say is true, and I have no reason to doubt it, and I, and I know there are plenty of honest, sincere uh, science people who are collecting data that is true data, okay? Right. The problem becomes when they then ship that data to people who have an ulterior motive, who have an agenda, who then can take that data and model it, skew it, to show that the agenda is what is correct. That's really where our problem is. Uh, I've often said, I mean, if you listen to the weather on the radio, you look at the weather forecast on your computer, uh, they're barely right if you go out 48 or 72 hours. So how do they know what's going to happen in 100 years? Uh, and that's really true. It, it's all kind of speculation. So the important question is now, now that we've established so much of this that, as we have, there are a variety of different uh, policies that are being put forward as being a cure for man-made global warming or man-made climate change. What, 
what are those policies, what has been put forward, and what's going to happen with that, all of those things? Well, the most recent thing is the Paris Treaty or the Paris Accord, where virtually every country uh, on the globe has, has signed in. I think uh, the United States was one of the major uh, drivers of this. Um, and as most, most people know, uh, we've given notice that we're pulling back from that treaty. Uh, the way it's structured, it's very difficult to get out quickly, but basically the notice has been given. Uh, that program is based on trying to get the carbon emissions worldwide uh, reduced dramatically. Uh, the way that uh, the U.S. participated was the Clean Power Plan, which EPA is now in the process of repealing. And a lot of people that, uh, you know, really are worried about the climate change are, are you know, upset. They're saying, by gosh, uh, what are we doing here? And you have to look at those two, two plans, in particular, the Paris Treaty or Paris Accord. And the reason people distinguish it, a lot of the countries went through the legislative process, explained it to their legislatures. They adopted it. The United States did not bring this as a treaty so they just changed the name to an accord or almost like a contract that the executive signed, but it had an escape clause, and the current president has decided to exercise the escape clause. And the reason why is that the treaty doesn't really do what it's purported to do. Um, a couple of the, the, the biggest carbon emitters in the future will be China and India. And they were able to basically say, let us grow our economy at least until uh, 2030, and then we'll start making reductions. Uh, the U.S. was required to reduce their emissions by about 50 percent uh, in the uh, in this treaty as the first start. It was first 30 percent, then the next step 50 percent and then finally 80% reductions, which basically mean you're going to have to go to a non-fossil fuel economy. It would put us in a tremendous competitive disadvantage, and we pulled out. At the same time, our key component to get the thing started was the clean power plan, and that in itself was the 30% initial reduction. That plan basically was designed to change the whole economic system of the US, uh, the U.S., and it was well beyond the constitutional authority of the EPA to do that. A lot of people are saying, but all the great things it would do, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the most important thing is it's illegal. The Supreme Court has already uh, uh, stated it as an illegal act because it's basically uh, uh, an agency of the federal government is establishing the energy and economic policy for the country. That has to go through the legislative process. If we're going to make that big a change to move us totally away from fossil fuel in a relatively short period of time and completely change 
the economy, put businesses out of business, et cetera, uh, you better vet that through the legislative process, which, as we know, is a long, deliberative process that you think about everything because that's what the founding fathers intended, not to make rash decisions. The House of Representatives to make rash decisions, the Senate to be more deliberate. And the system normally works. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.